Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Smarty Pants, the podcast of the American Scholar Magazine, sponsored by Phi Beta Kappa. I'm your host, Stephanie Bastak. Once upon a time, you turned 30 and you already had it all. A spouse, a house, a job, and a passel of kids. But even before the COVID-19 pandemic wreaked havoc on our lives, 30-somethings' expectations for their own lives were changing, both by choice and by necessity. Today, they're getting married later, if at all, having fewer kids, taking on more debt, and moving back in with their parents. Is economic upheaval and inequality the primary force behind these shifts? And why do traditional landmarks like getting married still exert such a pull on our psyches? Journalist Kayleen Schaefer conducted hundreds of interviews with researchers and millennials across the country to understand how this generation is growing up. She joins us from New York to talk about her new book, But You're Still So Young, How 30-somethings Are Redefining Adulthood. Thanks so much for talking to me, Kayleen. Thank you for having me. So I have a vested interest in the subject of your book since I just turned 30 <laughs> a month ago. So oh, happy birthday. <laughs> Belatedly, you. welcome to your 30s. <laughs> it feels pretty fine, but, um, you know, uh, the conventional wisdom says I'll have accomplished certain things by now, and I'm wondering if you could tell me what's on my to-do list. Well, funny you should ask. In the 1950s, your to-do list would have included completing school, leaving home, marrying, becoming financially independent, and having kids. And you would have actually normally done all of those things before you turned 30. Oops. So <laughs> that is not true anymore if you are thinking like, ooh, it's like, I mean, how many 30-year-olds do you know that have checked off all five of those? It's pretty rare these days. Well, I've only done two things on that list, and I don't even have plans to do some of the rest either. And I feel pretty good about going into my 30s. Do you? Okay, good. I mean, I want you to. You know, I, I, I vividly remember my 30th birthday party, and I wrote about it in the book. And so I decided I, I'm, a, I'm 30. I'm going to have a grown-up party. I hired um, a sommelier. And uh, I was like, we're going to have a wine tasting. Never mind that, like, I didn't particularly want to go to a wine tasting on my 30th birthday. So this sommelier comes to my apartment. Everyone is smushed in there. The sommelier is trying to explain the wines to us. No one wants to listen to him, including me. 
And I only served like what I thought were fancy appetizers, like you know, bacon wrapped dates, uh, you know, not real food. So everyone is drinking too much. There's not enough food. I mean, it's just a disaster. It turns into like exactly the kind of rowdy thing that I was like, I will not have these parties anymore when I'm in my 30s. <laughs> and it was exactly that. So, you know, like don't be hard on yourself and don't expect to become this ridiculous, stereotypical, whatever your idea of what you would be like in your 30s. It's okay if you're not that. A lot of people still have these stereotypical ideas, though. I mean, one character in your book, Marcus, says, you turn 30, you do the inventory, you go over that arbitrary list that we impose upon ourselves and panic about not completing it. I felt exactly the same way when I was looking at my 30s and thinking, this didn't turn out like I thought they were going to go. I'm not unhappy, but I'm still concerned I'm out of step. And, you know, I, I had all those stats in front of me, like the age of marriage going up, you know, the birth rate being low, uh, our financial instability. But I still, your stats are cold. You know, you can't get much comfort from a statistic. And so that is why I wanted to write the book in part because I wanted to make sure I wasn't alone. And then I think in just talking with other people and knowing that other people are thinking the same way and trying to build the lives they want and struggling and triumphing and just going about their lives in a way that, that you can feel alone because we're all making different choices. We're all going after different milestones or creating our new milestones. But in a way, we're also doing this together because we're also trying to do this new thing for the first time and supporting each other. And so that's what I really wanted to say. You know, you can go after whatever milestones you want on your own timeline and it's totally okay. And I also, I talked to a lot of experts who said, you know, you guys, you're happier in your careers because you've taken time to get to them. You're happier in your marriages because you've taken time to set them up. You're better parents because you're better prepared mentally to do that. And so I think that that is a really important message too. Like when we get to these milestones that we decide we want, we enjoy them more. So why have these milestones moved? I'm on the younger end of the millennial age range at 30, and a lot of these trends were already established as I was growing up, you know, getting married later, having kids later. So is it that these steps that people used to take in their 20s are just being pushed back into their 30s, or are more people just skipping some of these things altogether? Right. There's the two strains there. So in the 50s, these would have all been completed by your late teens, early 20s, um, even as recently as 1975, 45% of people had completed all five of those steps by their early 30s. And the last date we have the census information for as of now is 2016. But in 2016, only 24% of people had done those things by their early 30s. So you can see that huge drop there. But what else you're saying is absolutely correct. Like, these aren't the milestones necessarily that we associate with adulthood anymore. You know, you can choose which of these you want to check off. You can zig and you can zag. You can say, oh, I think I want to do one. And then you can get close to it and say, ah, oh, it doesn't feel right. I, I want to switch careers. Or like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'm ready to get married. You know, we are deciding our life on our own courses and picking what feels right for us versus just dumping ourselves into this five-point mold that, that people used to do decades ago. They just didn't have any choices about how to lay out their lives. Like society said, you do this, and they said, okay, I, I'm doing this. And we have options, and we have choices, and we don't have to. 
Yeah. I mean, it seems like a lot of these are pretty new ideas in the lifespan of humanity, period. You know, the idea of living in a house on your own with a spouse with your 2.5 kids, that didn't even exist 150 years ago. You know, childhood didn't even really exist. People didn't leave home. Layers of families lived like right on top of each other. So, I mean, what's the big deal if we're just, you know, going back or, you know, going forward into another new way of living? I too had this question because I was like, I, I just don't understand why there is this hand wringing. Like you may have heard it from parents. You may have heard it from older people saying like, what are they doing? Why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they living their life exactly like I did? And so I, I asked this question and the answer was, well, the thinking goes, like, if you're not entering into a career that you're going to have for decades, you know, you don't know how to be responsible which is like, well, no, that's not true. <laughs> you know, I'm still walking around as a responsible adult, even though I'm thinking like, maybe this isn't the career for me. And the same thing goes with marriage. Like if you're not getting married, then maybe you don't know how to have close relationships with people. And it's sort of like, no, I have lots of close, intimate, good relationships. Just because I don't want to get married doesn't mean that I'm not a capable person of doing this and being close with other people. We can be responsible. We can have good relationships without checking off these milestones. Another thing that struck me in the book is you mention a lot of past writers on the subject of changing adulthood. One of them really struck me because like this woman, Gail Sheehy, was writing in the 70s. And she talks about, like, having a crisis in your 30s. So is redefining the 30s specifically, like, really all that new of an idea? Well, it is because – so Gail grew up um, in the generation where they were protesting the Vietnam War. They were fighting for civil rights. You know, it was the very much like, use your voice. The youth is leading culture. But that youth was under 30. Like they had a saying in that movement, don't trust anyone over 30, because those were the adults and those were like the gray beards, they called them, telling them what to do. And so that was the line where like your youthful voice stopped and you became a grown up and out of touch with culture as soon as you hit 30. And like, I'm sure for you sitting here at 30, you're thinking like, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not geriatric, basically. <laughs> and so when those kids in that generation turned 30, they pretty much did then fall in line. You know, they bought homes, they married, they had kids, they entered into secure employment. You know, they stopped living out of their vans and going from protest to protest. Like they, you know, stereotypically grew up. But then, as Gail wrote in Passages, which was a huge bestseller in the mid-70s, because she was set up in her life in her 30s, and she realized, like, oh, maybe I set this up too soon. Maybe I didn't want to do all of these things. You know, I, I now I'm really thinking about what I wanted, and I think I want to reevaluate. And so she was giving per people permission to look at how they'd set their life up according to this path and, and thinking, like, is this really what I want? And she was saying, you're, you're not old, you know, you don't have to, yours just doesn't end here. Like you can make changes. And that, that was a huge relief to people to hear her say that and to give them permission. And, you know, she found people that could be good role models for changing your life and saying like, you can shake things up in your thirties still. And so there's that backdrop. 
um, that we're, we're now living in our thirties. And so we already know we have this flexibility and we can make different choices. And yet still, we still run up against that 1950s stereotype that like, well, is this what adulthood is supposed to look like? Yeah. A number of people that you interviewed for the book often have that moment. And I think you describe having that moment yourself too, where it's like, yeah, I didn't really care about this stuff at all. But then I found myself in a situation where I was like, wait, I'm almost turning 40 and yet I haven't done the marriage thing or I haven't bought the house yet. Why do you think people are still attached to this idea if we're already questioning it, if we have been questioning it as a society since the late 70s? I wondered that too. Why was I still butting up against this wall of what I thought I was going to do in my 30s, even though I so clearly wasn't living like that. Um, and it comes down to that this 1950s stereotype is idealized a lot because there was economic prosperity during that time. And then there's just this feeling that things were simpler then. But that's not true. Things were simpler if you were a white man. You know, women only had access to this life through marriage. People of color were just, they didn't have access to the middle class in the same way that white people did. So it's idealized in a way that it really shouldn't be if you look at everyone and how they were living in the 50s. And yet we're still told to look towards this time. I mean, I in my 20s, I had barely had a career and the other steps like just weren't accomplishing at all. And yet I thought when I turned 30 that I would just go through and check off the list because now I was in my 30s and I was going to do that. Even as I was still like doubting if I wanted these things and still thinking about how I wanted to accomplish them. Yeah. I mean, I think for certain elements, certainly marriage, um, the most of all of these things seems to have sort of if you make the individual shift. It is something you can really sort of change your perspective on on your own. But for the rest, a lot of them, you know, they really do have this economic foundation. And it really does seem like so much of the stability, so much of the pushing back is not necessarily a willing choice because we don't have the money, the options to do it. That's fair. Um, it's completely fair. And it's absolutely true that everyone does not have the same opportunities. Everyone does not have the same choices. Some people aren't going to make the lives that they want. And that's heartbreaking. Like That really sucks. So it's not just this, you know, if you want it, you can get it. We have choices. Yay. Hey, it, there are systemic things at play. Our wages are not rising with the cost of living. And concurrently, everything is getting more expensive. Childcare, homes, healthcare. And add into that, that workers today don't have the same protections that they did back in the 70s and even early 80s. You know, I'm sure you know a lot of people who were furloughed or lost their jobs or are freelancing or are gig employees. The way we work is just so different. You know, we need paid leave. We need universal health care. Uh, the unemployment system that they put in place during the pandemic where gig workers get unemployment, like, why wouldn't we just keep that? I talked to some experts that are hopeful that a good thing that will come out of the pandemic will be these kind of changes to give us some more support in setting up our lives in, in those very fundamental areas that, like, we're just hanging out there on our own right now. So it's not true 
that if you don't have the life you want, it's because you didn't work hard enough. Like that's something that for whatever reason is what we tell ourselves in America, but it's absolutely not true. And, and there's a big section of the book where I talk about getting financial assistance from older generations who, like we talked about before, may have more of a financial cushion, may be able to say, you know, give their 30 something child, like, pay the cell phone bill, give them their old car, provide some free child care. And so that kind of assistance is happening quietly. And for those people lucky enough to get it, which is mostly white people, that's a huge hedge against like financial downfall. And that's really helping with their life. But if you don't talk about it, if you're not open about it, it can be very hard as someone watching someone else with maybe the same career or, you know, their friend and they think that their lives are equal and they're not because you can't see this unseen help and how they have a financial cushion that you may not have. I think we do really have to talk about these inequalities that exist. So do you think if, you know, all of the people that you profile in your book were gifted economic stability, were all given financial assistance from an older generation or won the lottery, you know, if they all had that financial stability, do you think that most of them would elect to hit the other landmarks anyway? Would more money, more job stability, union wages, would that solve the dilemma? That's a really good question. I don't know. I, in the book, I, I purely stuck to people in the middle class. As you know, the middle class is sprawling. So this, this met a lot of different income levels. So one person's carrying hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. One person owns two homes. And yet they're still both, you know, defined as being in the middle class. I think for the people carrying a lot of debt, that that would make a difference because a ton of people in their 30s are carrying a ton of school debt. Uh, one character in the book describes it as, yeah, at first he was very hung up on, like, I have to pay this every month and he would get his paycheck and subtract, you know, the minimal amount he thought he could take to live on while still paying his loan. You know, now he's in his 30s and he's still trying to pay it and he now he thinks of it more as an unwelcome guest at a party. You know, it's just, it's always there. It's something you don't want to see or talk about. It's always in the room, but not something that like completely crushes his life. But yeah, that, that debt is, is hanging over a lot of people in their 30s, which is unfortunate because we're told, you know, you have to get a college degree to compete in the knowledge economy. Like, it's just part of the deal the way a high school education once was. But I don't know that immediately if someone became financially stable that they would say, okay, now I'm ready to get married and have kids. I think that's just something we sort of use as the first thing that we're comfortable trying to figure out and go after. Yeah, I think in addition to the money, there's also like this feeling of emptiness or feeling lost. Why do you think so many people feel so adrift? I mean, your life hinges around your financial stability for a lot of people in a lot of cases. I personally wanted to feel very financially secure before I decided other things in my life. And I just thought that that was the peg. Like when I established my career and felt comfortable, then I would decide on all these other personal things. And in the book, you'll meet a character, Marcus, too, who is he's trying to get a job he really likes. He has a job. It pays well, but it's not he's not passionate about it. He's not particularly satisfied. He says, you know, does it matter if I go to work every day? I'm not sure. And so he's trying to move his career in a way he's happy with. 
It, but at the same time, he has a long-distance girlfriend. She wants to move to him, but he doesn't know where he's going to work. And you know, and then she's like, "Well, but what if we want to have kids? We need to do this." And he just—you watch him get completely overwhelmed because how do you set up your whole life when you're trying to swing it around this idea of financial security and career happiness? I do think having choices is a good thing, but. It is a lot more anxiety causing and worrying than when you were just told, here's how to set up your life. By 30, you need to, you know, finish school, leave home, marry, have a career, have kids and check, check, check. And you're done. And that's very simple. You know, you're, you're not given any choices. So you don't have anything to really like think, did I do this right? Um, but now since we're so much more in charge, of how we set up our lives, particularly in our 30s, when we do make these big decisions that then become an anchor for a lot of how we spend our days and, and how our lives are going to go, it, it's, you know, you want to make sure you're doing the right thing. You want to make sure, like, I made the right choice, and you've got to really look inside yourself and and know that what you're doing every day makes you happy or the life you're leading every day makes you happy. And a lot of the characters in the book do you talk about that? Like I talked to them, you know, when they were feeling super happy and super high and this is exactly what I wanted. And I'm so glad that my life is set up like this. And then I also talked to them on days when they were really frustrated, like, will I make this career that I want? Or, you know, is this the right relationship for me? Or, you know, I, I'm not sure we should have another child right now, like, that kind of thing. What's interesting, too, is that a lot of these choices can be undone. You know, and so now I think divorce is not the shibboleth that it once was. People get divorced, they get remarried, you know, they'll sell their house, they'll go live in a van or travel around Asia or whatever. Um, do you think, I mean, from your research, have you seen that people are, you know, maybe hitting these landmarks and undoing them at higher rates than they were before? I do think that there is a lot of rethinking that's happening. Like there's a character in the book and she she got engaged to her college boyfriend and she just thought, okay, I'll get married and that's how my life's gonna go. This is what I'm gonna do. They break off the engagement. And then you see her like, I'm gonna move to Paris. He never wanted to leave New York. I always wanted to live in Paris. That's what I'm gonna do. And she does and you follow her through living like that. Um, and then, there's another character in the book who is just, you know, he thought that his job and getting to six figures would make him happy. And then he's sitting there with his six figure salary and thinking like, this isn't what I wanted. And he says, you know, if you had told my 22 year old self, you'll be in a job making six figures and not be happy. Like my, I would have slapped myself, <laughs> like my older, my younger self would have slapped my older self thinking, what are you doing? So yes, I do think these, these big things are being rethought and, and that's completely okay. Not much is set in stone. Yeah. I mean, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but it seems like the COVID-19 pandemic is wreaking even more changes on, you know, the thirties and the timeline of the thirties than before, you know, in 20 years are you going to be writing a book that's like you're still so young how 40 somethings are navigating their lives <laughs> I don't know uh, maybe no um I think w the delays that were happening before the pandemic are still happening and I think the pandemic has intensified that 
but it existed before. And actually, in talking to some of the experts, they said, like, I don't think that we've hit the final age on this. So say the average age of marriage for women is 28, for men is 30. And they think, like, that's going to go up. That's going to continue to go up. We haven't hit the ceiling on that. I don't know where it will be, but it was super interesting to me when they think, like, in a couple of years, they think that this will just be the new normal. You know, we won't be talking about it as a delay. It will just be, this is the time when you do those things. And I also think the pandemic has intensified this. You know, we've watched many, many people go back to live um, in their childhood homes with their parents. You know, many people have been furloughed, lost their jobs, have filed for unemployment. You know, people who were considering getting married maybe are holding off because they can't have a wedding. Or maybe they were stuck inside with that person and thought like, oh, wow, maybe I didn't want to marry them. Um, and like we talked about having kids, people are holding off on that. So maybe that hand wringing that we were talking about earlier will start to go away. I think especially with um, children going back to live with their parents or in their childhood home, like there's there's nothing wrong with being close to your family and to having a couple generations in the same place if it can provide you some financial stability, emotional stability, whatever it is. And this happens a lot in other countries, but for whatever reason in America, we've had a real just gut negative reaction to it. But it happens in Italy and Korea all the time. And, and it would be considered an insult if the adult children left too early, like left their parents too early. These delays are just continuing, and I do think they'll be the new normal. I don't know how that will reframe the 40s yet. Give me time, but <laughs> we'll, we'll see. But yeah, I, this is going to be the new normal. If you have also just turned 30, like me, or are approaching that landmark, or are well past it and just want to see what the kids these days are up to, check out Kayleen Schaefer's new book, But You're Still So Young. How 30-somethings are redefining adulthood. We've got links to that in the show notes, along with some more musings about getting older. We'll be back next week. Till then, take care and stay sharp. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.